Welcome to Jammin' with Jason Mefford, a show where we discuss topics relevant to chief audit executives and professionals in audit, risk, and compliance. We discuss the technical and soft skills needed to navigate the minefields of organizations. You hear best practices and practical advice for helping you advance your career, and we'll even talk about music, mindfulness, and psychology, because we can. So sit back and relax while you listen to the number one podcast in the world for internal auditors, unscripted and unedited. Well, welcome everybody. I am excited. I've been, I've been talking with our, our guest today um, online for a little while and, and really wanted to make sure and have him on and talk to him. Uh, I'm talking today with Emilio Rubio. And uh, he's been a chief audit executive at several different companies, literally all over the world. Uh, you know, Brazil, Spain, Luxembourg, Netherlands, currently I think in Switzerland, and um, has had over 15 years experience as a chief audit executive, but also has been in a line management role. And so there's some perspectives that I think we want to kind of bring up today uh, to talk about. So Emilio, thanks for being on with me today. Thank you, Jason. It's nice to have you here, and um, yeah, so maybe maybe just kind of give people a, a general basis kind of from your background, because like I said at the beginning, uh, you know, you've been a chief audit executive several different places, but you've also had some line management roles too, because I think uh -huh. this is going to be important to talk about, you know, kind of how you've been successful as, as a chief audit executive. In fact, I mean, you've gotten promoted up, you know, from that level into, you know, an executive position where internal audit reports to you now. Uh, mm -hmm. So maybe just kind of give, give the listeners a little background on, on kind of some of the types of roles that you've had as you've moved up in your career. Well, I, I started as an external auditor in, in Spain. I'm, I'm originally Spanish. Um, and after a couple of years, I moved into internal audit, which I thought it was uh, much more interesting. Uh -huh. Then uh, in, in that American company, after a couple of uh, years being in internal audit, I was pushed up due to the implementation of Servant Soxley as um, uh, the, the head of internal control for one of the divisions. Uh, then I was poached by a company in Switzerland uh, and and moved to Switzerland as chief audit executive uh, when I was just below 30 years old. Um, I did that position in parallel to uh, uh, supporting the M&A department uh, because one of the things that I always wanted to uh, to bring to the to the table was uh, value added. And at that time in 2005, I thought that the best way of ensuring that uh, there was some some value added visibly different from from uh, other things that they would have seen before was to either the audit the, the corporate development department, which was uh, it turned to be a success because I helped the, the the executive vice president for corporate development resolve a number of issues, and and through the creation of a special uh, strategy committee, I had uh, I had access to to M and A from the due diligence perspective and and also um, helping them. Uh, with the analysis of targets. Uh, within that company, I moved to Brazil in a business management position uh, where I stayed um, for, for almost a couple of years. Uh, then I moved back to Europe uh, 
as a chief audit executive together with uh, risk management, compliance, uh, and governance in general. And then I moved to a GRC role for a large uh, trading company. And currently I am in, in my company, uh, as you said, in doing compliance, uh, risk management, and supporting internal audit in whatever I can. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, I think it's interesting, and that's, that's one of the reasons, too, why I wanted to talk with you, because... We, we've had similar but different kind of career paths, right? Where you go, you know, you're in audit, you're out of audit, you're back in audit, you're doing GRC, you're doing risk, you're doing compliance, right? And, and, and yet you, you still kind of keep coming back to some of this. And so one of the first questions is maybe, you know, having stepped outside of audit and then kind of coming back in, what do you think are some of the big things that you learned that have helped you to become a better auditor? Well, um, I think that first of all, uh, in order to be a, a very good auditor, uh, what you need to have is different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, in the profession, uh, the people want to promote, uh, they want to enter as junior auditors, then they want to go to senior auditors, then managers, directors, and, so, and, and at some point in time, they want to become the, the, the chief audit executive. Uh, I, don't, I don't say that it is a bad role, but you are losing a lot of the world that is out there. Uh, meanwhile, internal audit has their own jargon and their own backfalls, etc. Uh, if if you have different experiences and uh, both regionally or uh, in terms of position, that helps you see the world with different eyes. And in turn, um, you actually understand some of the issues that you are repeating audit audit after audit after audit that they really don't have that much value added. And things that you are not understanding before because you don't have that experience then suddenly they appear to be important in, in the audit reports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you're, you're, you're not, I, I love that term that you said, seeing the world with different eyes, <clears throat> you know, because in your career you were able to do that by having literally some of these other line management positions where you were now the person being audited, <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. you exactly. like to be audited where, you know, a lot of people, they do, they move up in that internal audit role, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think in order to make them a great audit executive, you have to be able to have those different perspectives and see things in a different way. Right. Yes. So, so even if you're, you know, that's something that you might have to work on harder if you don't have those other, um, those other examples. But, but mm-hmm. I think, I think it's great, you know, if you've, if you've been audited and then you go back to auditing, because you can actually empathize with the people. Right? Yes. Right. And at the end of the day, it's a question of what is the value that you want to add? Uh, yeah. So when you are in a line management position and you are audited, you know where the issues are. Mm-hmm. So then you see what they are asking you and you see how they may be targeting right, but failing the shot, or they may be, uh, targeting wrong, but then suddenly, by a coincidence, they just get it right. So you see all these little tweaks because you have insider information. Mm-hmm. And actually, once that you come back into internal audit, you can use that part of that insider information, obviously adjusted to the actual occurrences, in order to understand better where do you actually have to target and what should be the expected result. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because without without, I mean, it, it does make you a better auditor to be able to have that different perspective, because because again, I think like you said, having that insider information and maybe almost kind of knowing, because sometimes as auditors we focus on things that don't really matter to the business. Okay, we mm-hmm. think we think that they matter a lot to us. You know, I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say, you know, oh, I've got this big finding, you know, and it's like, it's $50,000, you know, and the manager's like, hey, I've got a $10 million revenue shortfall. That's what I'm concerned about. I don't care about Mm -hmm. $50,000. And so maybe, maybe speak to that a little bit, because having that different perspective, how has that helped you kind of decide which areas to go after? or or kind of the different audits that you're going to do so that you're not focusing on those those minor things that maybe management doesn't actually care about i think that is uh, basically understanding the the root causes for the risk profile uh, of the different companies or or areas that that you are actually auditing Uh, once that you have that uh, more in-depth understanding if, if you don't have uh, that other set of eyes that is actually helping you discriminate in between what is important for the profession or what do you think that is important for the profession and what is important for the company, then is when you may actually uh, miss, a little bit the, miss a little bit the shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think we were talking before, before we actually started recording, which I thought was interesting, something that we need to pull in here is, and you kind of just touched on it is I think sometimes as auditors, we think that we're doing important work, but to the mm-hmm. manager, it doesn't seem like important work. And it's, and it's almost that it's that mindset shift because you hear a lot of people and they, they get frustrated and they say, you know, doggone it. I'm, I'm the auditor. I should have access. I should be, you should listen to me because the IIA says I provide insight. Yeah. The manager's but like, ent- entitlement. Entitlement is not actually something that you should have in your job description. No, no, it's not. And and it's like, again, it's, it's, if we think we're providing insight, that's great. But what really Mm -hmm. matters is, does the manager feel we're providing insight? And I think, I think sometimes there's a disconnect and we like to hear ourselves talk. And, yes. and, and, and when, when we do that, what, cause you've been on that other side from the manager side, when an auditor does that, what do you think about that auditor? Well, you think that they are actually, well, you tend to empathize as well because you, you realize that, that you were also in that position. So <laughs> uh, at least in my case, I have always tried to give a little bit more uh, than if I would not have been that empathic. Um, uh, I would have. But uh, again, just coming back to the point that we were making before, <coughs> I think it's a question of uh, whenever we think that we are giving some, some, some value, I don't think that management um, needs a lot of uh, new ideas. Um, I think that the people have become CEOs and CFOs of co- companies because they have a lot of experience, they have a lot of business acumen. So most of the times what they need is a push in the right direction in terms of they are blocked uh, to take a decision and with your work you can actually provide clarity you can actually lift the cloud lift lift the fog and and then 
help them take the right decision. That doesn't mean that you have to take the decision for them. That doesn't mean that you have to bring to the table a, a lot of new ideas. It just needs, you just need to ensure that they have the right set of data in order to take the most appropriate decision for the company. Mm-hmm. And, and also one, one other thing that I have also been thinking is that whenever you, whenever you don't have uh, other experiences in terms of uh, sales or sourcing or business management, etc., um, when you are talking to, um, to, to those uh, line managers, especially when they are high up in, in the organizations, they are excellent uh, marketing managers of themselves and their achievements. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, uh, internal audit by, by definition or by the definition of independence that you cannot resolve the problems that you identify, etc., uh, it is going to be very clear for everybody within the company that even though you identify the problem, you did not resolve it. So mm-hmm. there is that disconnect in terms of value added that where is the value added? In identify one thing that probably they already had identified and they didn't know how to resolve it in give them the necessary tools that, uh, that they need in order to resolve it or to help them along the way. Uh, for the resolution, being sure that the company understands that you have been part of the solution. I think that that is the key differentiating factor. Whenever the company thinks that you are part of the solution, you will immediately start bringing value. If you are part of the problem, so we are very busy with everything that we are doing and you are just coming here to put your finger in my eye, (laughs) even if you are just doing your job, you have to do it sensibly enough so it does not hurt that much. Yeah. And within time, that is appreciated. Well, and I think, I think that's important, you know, be a part of the solution. Because I think, I think sometimes, and maybe we can talk just a little bit about this, because I, I think auditors get worried about independence and objectivity, right? Because like you said, I, mm-hmm. I can't... I can't consult on something that I identified or I can't provide consulting or help fix the problem if I'm auditing that area, right? Because that removes my objectivity. But I like to say, instead of, instead of consulting where I think it can be great and I want to get your view on this is instead of thinking about us, you know, let's kind of give up a scenario, right? We come into a part of the business we help lift some of the clouds or the fog, like you say, we identify something. And then, you know, two things happen. We either tell them exactly how they have to do it, right? Because this is best practice, so you must do it this way. And we build it into our recommendations. That usually pisses off the manager, okay? Really yeah. bad at that Typically. point. Typically, okay? Or we say, well, it's your problem, you go fix it. And, we're, and we'll come back and, and audit you later to make sure you did it right. And which will also piss them. <laughs> which will also piss them off, right? <laughs> so I, I don't think either of those is very helpful. But I think where, you know, sometimes we get so worried about the word consulting. I like the word coach better. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think it's, it's, it's no problem at that point to sit down with the manager and say, well, you know, we've identified these things. How do you think would be the best way to fix it? You know, mm-hmm. what, what, what is challenging you about this, you know, and actually have a conversation with them and, and, and help them provide that insight and help them make the decision so that they can move forward. 
right? Because, because again, if we just kind of walk away, we're not really helping them. We can't do it for them necessarily, but we can actually coach or ask them questions and help them through the process. I think without, without having a problem with our objectivity. Well, um, that in order to respond to that uh, long question, I, I think that you can actually help them as well. Uh, my understanding of objectivity, uh, it is more related to professional professionalism yeah. um, rather than independence. At the end of the day, in my opinion, and I know that this is not exactly what the, the profession is striving towards, um, in, in my opinion, Nobody in the company is independent. The CEO is not independent. Yep. The chairman of the board of directors is not independent. How, how are you going to be independent? <laughs> and independent, independent of what? What you can be is professional, understand where are the red lines, which obviously it is very clear that you have to be somehow independent um, and you need to have some level of independency, uh, independence in order to make uh, an objective work. But if you are professional, even not being 100% independent, uh, you or when you are not 100% independent, then uh, you will uh, you will actually tell the, the audit risk and compliance committee, listen, I cannot participate in this audit because I actually help resolve this problem. Yeah. So for this one, my deputy is going to take charge. I'm not going to look at anything because we want to ensure that independence, but but the fact that it is independent, that doesn't warranty that it is going to be objective because mm -hmm. the objectivity of everybody is something that is completely exclusive so, and, and personal to themselves. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's much more important that we agree with the audit committee, with the board of directors and with the management, where are the red lines that cannot be crossed and you engage with them in a way that it gives you certain freedom to operate also as an executive of the company that it is in charge of internal audit or risk management or, or compliance. So uh, that, that you can actually uh, turn your department into somehow a more um, revenue center rather than just a cost center, which is something that most of the companies complain about. And that is why most companies now are trying to um, to merge some of the functions because they don't see the value of just having somebody independent that uh, it is telling them things that they already know. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the more experience that you gather outside of internal audit, risk management, compliance, etc., the more different perspectives you can add um, in, into the table and the more likelihood you have to identify or to help the, the people that you are auditing identify what is exactly the problem that you have and what is a way to resolve it. I'm not a friend of best practices either because <laughs> yeah. having, having been working in many different places, I know that best practices are, or in my opinion, they are very uh, localized uh, yeah. and they have a huge component of uh, culture, which obviously is is very is very much affected by where you have actually resolved this so one thing that is a brilliant idea in argentina in in egypt it may be just something that there is no way how to handle that <laughs> yeah. so i prefer more suggestions for the management 
um, to consider. Um, so when they are facing a problem, if they go to these suggestions for uh, improvement, they can actually take the one that they believe that is more appropriate and uh, customize it, or as I call it since I was in Brazil, tropicalize it. Ah, so, so, I like that term. <laughs> so it actually works in the place, which is exactly where it has to work. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's important because, you know, I've, I've had these discussions with lots of chief audit executives over the years. And, and there's some that are so worried about not doing anything other than assurance work. And there's other people that, you know, kind of like what sounds like what you and I are, are thinking is like, at the end of the day, just do what's right for the company. Okay. You know, yes. Talk to your management, talk to your board, determine where the red lines are. You know, I don't want you to cross this particular line. Okay, cool. We won't do that, but just worry more about doing the right thing for the company instead of, you know, maybe the theoretically correct thing to do based on the standards. Because I, exactly. I think, you know, when, when people are so idealistic about what they can or can't do based on a standard, it really does take away the value and the trust that others in the organization have for them. And yes, so, because, because most of them, they are not internal auditors. No, so they don't not. even understand where those values are coming from. Yeah, and, and, they don't, they? And, and they don't care. They have objectives that they're trying to meet. And so exactly. we, we just need to help them meet them. I mean, ultimately, you know, risk-based audit or the whole idea and thought behind that is risks associated with management achieving their objectives. So those mm -hmm. are the areas that we should be focusing on is helping them actually achieve their objectives. And if they don't know how to do it and they want our help, then let's help them. <laughs> you know, yes. we'll, we'll figure out, you know, other, other ways. And this is, this is kind of a, a good segue into another um, area because you, you kind of mentioned already, it's like, look, if I, if I help a part of the business, you know, improve or change, and let's say later we have to go in and do assurance, well, then we'll have somebody else from my team actually do that. And I'll remove myself from the process, right? So that I, I'm not in it and they can report directly to the board or whatever. Um, or you can even hire an external consultant. Or hire somebody external to do it. It's, I mean, that, 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 that was- many options. Yeah, that was the way it was for me when, when um, I got the chief risk officer title as well. That's what I just had the discussion with the board and said, look, I'm not going to audit risk management because I'm responsible for it. If you don't mm -hmm. like what I'm doing or you think we need to have it audited, we'll just bring somebody else in from the outside. And they said, yeah. no problem, Jason. We'd rather have you helping us manage it than to have you come in and audit and say, you guys need a risk management <laughs> group every year. And it's like, we know you told us last year, idiot. Why don't you just help us? <laughs> so, you know, that was an area where we kind of, you know, just excluded that from our, from our audit plan, which was fine you know, ultimately, and sometimes you have to make those choices, but I think, you know, just think about what's right for the organization. So. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because I know you've, you've kind of gotten in that situation as well, where now you're responsible for, for multiple areas, you know, mm -hmm. I think risk compliance and audit, I think I'll report up. I have one uh, head of audit that is reporting also to the audit committee in order to warranty, um, to warranty that objectivity or independence. Okay. Uh, but yes, ultimately, yes. Yeah. 
So, so I guess, how do you, you know, since that person is, I guess, effectively administratively reporting to you functionally to the audit committee, if we kind of use the, the standard terms, you know, that auditors would use, I guess, what, what do you do to help try to make sure that that person, you know, really can audit objectively and is independent, you know, enough in, in, in what they're kind of doing. And the reason that I ask this is because, um, I think sometimes chief audit executives get hung up on who they report to administratively and think that that is really what defines their independence, where for me, I think it's more the people. So, so maybe kind of what are, what are some ways that you do to help make sure that there is a high level of, of audit quality, um, you know, in, in the way that you're actually managing that person who's reporting. Um, well, I think that um, because this has this situation has been running for not a long time, um, I, I want to or I wanted to give um, uh, this person as much independence as possible. So I have not been um, I have not been supervising the day to day on a constant basis. So he could actually set their own uh, their own targets because the strategy. For the internal audit department, we revamped uh, we revamped last year, so he has been administering and, and actually executing uh, perfectly, even in advance, uh, all the audit plan uh, that that we had defined for uh, for this year together with the audit committee. I am there as a coach um, and a mentor, if if I may, um, for anything that 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 he needs, I involve myself in in certain audits that I consider interesting, mm -hmm. also from uh, from the compliance or risk management perspective. Uh, and in turn, I also try to involve uh, him in uh, in other areas uh, such as uh, risk management or, or compliance, uh, trying to get his uh, his opinion because he is a person that has been in the company for much longer than I have. Mm. So his knowledge of the inners of the company is is much much higher than than mine. So I think that in in that sense we we form um, a very good team. Um, and it's just a question of the not not stepping too much into the the day to day basis, uh, but being there for anything that that he or the team uh, may need. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, that's an important distinction and that's, that's the biggest thing because I know, um, you know, throughout my career, I reported to a controller, several chief or uh, CFOs and a couple of CEOs. And I, I know sometimes we focus so much on the, the form instead of the substance, right? Like I'm the head of audit. I should report to the CEO. Well, that ain't going to happen in most organizations, right? Mm -hmm. And to me, it's not so much the, the, the position as it is, like you said, having that teamwork with that other person, you know, you realize and, and give, I mean, the best person that I ever worked for, it was a CFO. And, mm -hmm. and so a lot of times, you know, like when we would go and audit finance, you might kind of think, Ooh, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna tell us how we have to report because he doesn't want, you know, bad things coming out of finance, but he was totally the opposite on those type of engagements, he would totally step back. You know, there was no, no critiquing of the report, no trying to wordsmith, nothing, you know, mm -hmm. in those areas that I think that I think that is, that is important um, to be able to have in there because you can coexist 
and add the value to the organization if you have a team type relationship. Uh, yeah. with them. You know, um, one other thing that I just to kind of probably wrap up here um, is, is something else that we talked about before. And I, and I hear this a lot and I loved your response is, you know, a lot of times heads of audit will get frustrated. And they'll mm -hmm. say, you know, I'm not being invited to the meetings. I'm not sitting at the table. You know, you hear, I want a seat at the table a lot of times from people, okay? <laughs> and you're laughing because, again, so, so when somebody says, I want a seat at the table, what would you tell them? Yeah, that you have to earn it. Yeah. You, you have to do everything in your power in order, to, in order to ensure that you get access. So if you want to be part of a club, you have some rules and regulations that you have to meet uh, in order to have access to that club. So what you cannot say is like, it's because it's me, I am very good and I'm very handsome and very tall or very whatever. <laughs> then I, have, I need to have access to the table. I want to be invited to all the meetings because that doesn't work like this. So no. you have to understand first, and, and that is the, the problem that um, we may have, is that meanwhile for a club, everything is written so you can actually go to information the information desk and ask ask exactly what you have to do in order to get access to the club in this particular situation you have to be much more resourceful and you have to find out by yourself what is expected from you so you have in on the one hand you have your responsibilities of your uh, of your position on the other hand you have a set of red lines that are clear, uh, that have been set by uh, the profession. Uh, on another hand, you have the application of those red lines in terms of what is the board of directors and the audit risk and compliance, com compliance committee are they, and the executive board. What are they expecting from you? And then from those things and the objectives and strategy of the company, which we haven't talked, but it is very important to really know yep. by heart what are those objectives and that strategy of the company then you figure out where is where you can actually produce a better result for the company. Then if you actually are successful and you market it properly, so then all the good things that you have been doing are clearly assigned to you and they are not assigned to somebody else that has participated in the process but didn't have really anything to do with it, within time, you will be earning the, the real trust, not the trust that people speak about, but the real trust. So whenever your management has a problem, they will come to you. Yeah. And whenever they come to you and you resolve the problem that they have, that creates a, a symbiotic relation so they will come more. And at some point in time, they will say, I don't want to go to you. I prefer that you are here with me. Mm -hmm. And then you will be invited to the table. Yep. But it's not because you are entitled to, it's because you are delivering a service to them. And the service has to be in their terms, not in your terms. Yeah. Because your terms are not important anymore. <laughs> well, and I think I think that is one of the biggest things, you know, takeaways for people to remember is it's it's in, in their terms, not in our terms. Right. And so, so again, like you said, if somebody wants to get invited to the table, well, they have to provide that value to the group to effectively get invited to the table. And if you're, mm -hmm. if you're not acting like you deserve to be at the table, you're not going to get invited. 
and you can jump up and down and pound your chest and say, but I'm the head of audit. I should be there. They're yeah, still not, they're still not going to invite you. <laughs> unless... Yeah, but there are so, so many shoots in life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know, like you said, until you actually prove your trust to them, and I, and I think that's, that's a great way of, of looking at it is if your executives are coming to you and actually asking for your advice, that's the first step, right? If, if they're not asking you for your advice, you're not at trusted advisor level with them. No, which is also fine because especially when you are new into a position, yep. they are not going to give you the, the keys to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So you have to start finding out your way and slowly but surely start delivering on what you believe or what you have assessed that it is what has to be delivered a part of your normal work and and prove to them that you are one of them yeah. with a different set of responsibilities. So your responsibilities are not to grow the revenue line or your responsibilities are not to ensure that uh, the internal control system, um, it is um, applied properly in the sense of uh, you are actually executing the controls because you are not in a line position, but you have to align what you are delivering to what they are expecting from you to deliver and respecting everything else that we have said before in terms of the audit committee and, and the board of directors. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's great. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, okay. We need to probably kind of wrap up here for, for, for this episode, but I wanted to just kind of go through and do like a little summary of a couple of things that we had, we had talked about so that at the end of this, people can, you know, again, pull out your pen and paper, write down some things and go back and start trying to do things different. But, you know, I know we talked about it's how important it is to actually help the executive solve problems, you mm-hmm. know, bring a different perspective, bring, you know, have a, have a different view the world in a different way uh, to be able to help them add value you know, get a deeper understanding of what actually is going on in the business, what those executives mm-hmm. are dealing with, think about the root causes of the risks, uh, you know, have those discussions with them that help them kind of raise those clouds, get out of the fog and help them, you know, have the right information so they can make the best decision for the company. Cause they're the yes. ones that are ultimately making the decisions, right? Uh, yes. You know, be a part of the solution, not the problem. Right. So they're mm-hmm. actually there trying to help people as well, you know, know where those red lines are, you know, what, what, what you can do, what you can't do again, based on, I mean, to me, that's kind of like the whole purpose why you have a charter is to get clear yes. from the board and from executive what's, what's in play, what's out of play so that you know exactly where you are. And then, you know, if you want to get a, a seat at the table, you really have to earn it. And, mm-hmm. and, and you don't earn it because of your title. You don't earn it because of your degrees. You earn it by actually helping people and showing that they can trust you and that you really are adding value to them and helping the organization grow. Yeah, and to the company, exactly. Yeah. Does that sound kind of like what we talked about? Right. That, that, that <laughs> is absolutely right. Okay. Well, any, any I guess, parting uh, things that you'd like to, you know, make sure and send out there because other internal audits or internal auditors or chief audit executives that are listening to this, anything else that you think that 
uh, um, know as well? More for um, for people that want to enter into the profession and and, and they are ambitious uh, ambitious enough. What I would recommend is that um, they are not shy in terms of uh, moving out uh, of the profession and have the will to come back. So. I know that it is not common because uh, people tend to think that this is kind of a internal audit. When once that you have been a long time, it's like a prison. So whenever you get <laughs> exposure to something else, then you better get it because if you return, you will never be able to to go back. But there are there are people that that really want to make a career in internal audit, or at least when they are starting, that is what they think they want to do. I would actually recommend them. To, to go, not to stay 10 years in internal audit, to go first to internal audit in order to understand what are the procedures, what it's everything, and then go to a couple of other uh, different uh, positions in sales, in, in manufacturing, in finance, in whatever they want. And once that they have a little bit more, uh, they see the world with different eyes, as, as we said before, then go back to the to the profession, go back to internal audit or uh, go back to compliance or risk or whatever they were, and they will see how much better they are. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's great advice because like you said, that that has served you well in your career. Um, and, and it does, it makes you a better, more well-rounded auditor. I, th- I think also like we talked earlier about the empathy uh, for mm. others. When you've, when you've been on the other side of the desk, uh, I think it makes you a better auditor to understand, you know, how the people that are being audited actually feel too. Yes. Um, so it is. So, well, Emilio, thank you so much for, for coming on today. You've got a, a whole bunch of wisdom that uh, now people throughout the world will be able to learn from you as well. So I really appreciate you. Thank you very much, Jason. All right. And uh, I'm sure that we'll, uh, We'll probably have to have some future discussions as well. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Whenever you want. All right. Hey, thanks, my friend, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you very much. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Jamming with Jason. Keep on rocking in the audit world. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll catch you later on the next show. If you'd like to earn continuing professional education for listening to today's episode, head on over to C-Risk Academy at ondemand.criskacademy.com. And that's C as in the letter C, riskacademy.com. Not only do you get a CPE certificate, but you also will have access to the video version of today's show. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of the individuals and not of their respective organizations.